There's a chilling story President Spencer W. Kimball relates in his book, Miracle of Forgiveness, about a man who pulls himself from alcoholism, practices sobriety for years, and readies himself to be sealed in the temple with his wife, and then, on the eve of his temple visit, is drawn back into old vices by persuasive friends. Although a stark example, it's probably not too far off experiences we all have where we work and repent from mistakes and sins, enjoy rest and freedom, only to feel the pull of temptation and possibly the pain of relapse again. This week, we study the book of Judges, which is, in summary, that story told 12 times in a row. Study with us this week as we seek to interrupt that cycle and stay true to the God who delivers us. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's study. Uh, Judges is our book this week, and we sat down to record and then we both did, what is the show? I think it's... Um, is it Up? Up, yeah. We both looked at, there was a squirrel on a branch outside and we both uh, turned and we didn't say squirrel, but we thought, squirrel, <laughs> it's on this little small branch outside. Well, what I think is amazing is that squirrels are underplayed. You know, monkeys get all the rap, all the rap for... All the attention. All for... the attention for swinging from trees, but squirrels are pretty amazing i would be a squirrel over a monkey i don't think i would monkeys there's, there's your takeaway from this week's episode <laughs> i uh, didn't know you'd want to be a squirrel it's kind of weird well, but... looking at the trees here and seeing the squirrels anyway they, they've got it made that's our diversion from what is actually a pretty difficult book to study uh we we joke about how often we start our episodes with we're really excited this week to study uh this week we we were less than excited to study, or I guess better said, we just had less a less than motivating experience studying. Well, for me, it was oh, what are what are we even going to talk about? Mm-hmm. You know, even with um, some study helps and things, I just can't get past some of the hard stories. Um, I would say the I'm sure that the violence and the killing in any story in any setting isn't easy for everyone, but the Bible, it's, you know, where do I place meaning with this? What do I do? And there's a lot of that as the Israelites are trying to take over the land of Canaan again. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's confusing and hard because you think, oh, they've done this great thing because, but it's still hard to understand and really grapple with, um, what it means Yeah, and maybe even what it means for us. Well, we were talking about that before, just how to navigate a difficult, a difficult book, and I know we've we've talked about that in, in previous episodes. But I think this is a good chance for us to dive in a little bit more on what it means, because in Judges we have so many different examples of mm-hmm. these stories, and I think that was one of the things that made it hard, because one thing we're trying to do with our Bible reading this year, at least between Zach and I is to look really at these personal stories and look individually at people. Um, And this book makes it a little bit hard because no one stays and does what they're supposed to. (laughs) They might have a great moment in a few places, but what do we do with that? 
Well, that's a good question. And I don't know if I have really clear answers, but I have some feelings that um, have kind of culminated over the past couple of weeks study that have been helpful to me. And one of which is, uh, (laughs) I'm guilty of this. In previous readings of the book of Judges, I have read it and looked for the heroes in the book. And that's a a pretty uh, easy frame to have as you look at any Old Testament book. Well, or any, I mean, that's something that we do is we look to and identify and Mm -hmm. want to champion with with that person. And so if you put those, that lens on, then all you see in the stories are the heroic lines and phrases, which I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Finding a phrase in the scripture, even if it's uh, taken out of its context, but it means something to you, especially as the Spirit guides and directs your study to find something in the scriptures that uh, I've always said that when God talks to us, he, he can use the text of the scriptures. Even though it's someone else saying it thousands of years ago, God can lift that phrase out of the scriptures and give it to you as living word. And I've had thousands of students share uh, examples of that where they're reading, you know, the flip open the book and I read a random verse and I always think that doesn't happen, but it does for them. They'll read a verse or they'll read a line and it pops out at them. So I don't think it's bad to read the scriptures that way, but I think it is important to note that the book of Judges specifically, and I would say even the Old Testament generally, were not written as a heroic narrative. The book of Judges is the same story told 12 times in a row, and every time the story ends poorly. Every time the story ends in apostasy and destruction and pain and sorrow. And so it's not meant to be a story where we look at it and and draw examples from the people there for us to emulate. The text is clearly written in a way to help us see the mistakes that Israel is making and to set up the idea that the only solution to Israel's persistent problems is not human government, is not divided tribes with with, uh, individual judges. It is a God king. And coming up, as we read the book of Samuel and and the calling of kings, that begins the, the narrative, the king narrative in the Old Testament, where we now have a king in Israel who is supposed to be uh, an obedient Israelite and thus represent God to his people. Now, of course, the kings that we have also fall short of that, once again, underscoring the idea that there is only one God king that can truly save Israel. That's the story of the Old Testament, at least one of them. It's a story of how often people try and substitute their own intuition, their own leadership, their own governance in for God's leadership. And the message, if there is one from the book of Judges is, you can't do that. You cannot successfully navigate governing your human life and your human society without God. God has to be a part of it. Which maybe that's why the Old Testament or any scripture story for that matter maybe can feel likable when we do see all the sides of a human. Mm-hmm. It makes us feel like that's part of God. God recognizes that I'm going to make mistakes and I'm not going to be perfect Um, which I know in a a lot of these past stories that we've studied already this year has made me think like, we're all just humans. We're trying to 
understand and follow God, hopefully for the most part. Um, and we're doing our best. And I think, I think maybe we can take away two things from that. Um, well, there's a lot we could take away from it, but what I'm thinking of is that God sticks around. I know that's a huge, God sticks with us through the Bible, Mm -hmm. even in spite of all of these things, God sticks with, with his covenant and he sticks with his people. Um, and then also that it's okay to feel connected to these people and that we are similar to them because we're all just human. And isn't that the human struggle as a faithful person or as as anyone is trying to understand the meaning of life, but maybe trying to understand God and what he's telling us. And, and that struggle is very real for these people. Um, and so maybe that's part of what helps us feel like, okay, that's okay because that happens. Um, and hopefully we don't, we don't take it to the extremes that some of these examples take it to. But. Yeah. Well, to that point, this is Judges chapter 2, verse 1. An angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bachim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. To your point, the, the companion story to Israel's repeated failure to consistently rely on God in the Old Testament the companion story to that is God's persistent reliability and and attachment to this covenant, his loyalty to them. And so I, I think that's a great balancing principle. Well, and when we started this study, we thought, okay, what are the similarities? That was kind of where we were going to take our study this week. And, and then we just thought, actually, let's not do that and study what we shouldn't do from these examples in order to stay close to God and, and hear him more often and follow him. Um, but I think that's, that kind of led me to think like, what is the, maybe the difference or the, how do we do that? How do we study? Cause some of these stories are so history they are so far back in history that it can be hard to say, to really feel like we can pull modern application to this. So how can we do that when we're reading some of these harder stories yeah. well, where it it was hard for me to pull pull out some application? And we have to be careful, too, because not everything is applicable, uh, right? I mean, very, very blunt example. But to look at the story of Judges and even the story of Joshua, where the narrative is that God is commanding people to kill other people. Um, now, those scriptures in history have been used in atrocious and horrible ways. That's not something that should be applied. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before, that the, the Bible isn't written to be uh, a, a perfect model of how we should live a life. It's meant to show humanity and all of its trials and difficulties. And so we have to be careful with what we apply from an ancient text. It's very different from general conference, right? You listen to President Nelson, you don't have to struggle to figure out what from what President Nelson is saying is applicable to you, because it's all applicable because he is speaking in the modern day, which is the wonderful benefit of having living prophets. But when you're dealing with ancient prophets and ancient stories, you have to be careful what it is that you apply. And so I think uh, for this study in Judges, what we want to look at is just briefly, the cycle that repeats itself in the story, which is visible right from the very beginning of the book. If you look at Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it 
it iterates a cycle that repeats itself 12 times in the story. So in verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balim, which is the plural for Baal. It's, it's the Canaanite gods. That, that uh, verse is repeated almost word for word in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 6, chapter 13, verse 1. The word I kept seeing with that was that they just abandoned. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the word that kept coming up. They abandoned the Lord. They abandoned him again for these other gods, for other distractions. Yeah. So that's the first stop on the cycle. If you think of the Book of Mormon pride cycle, this is a very similar, the, the cycle of, of abandonment and deliverance. And so the first stop is that they abandon God. They turn away from him. Then the second stop is if you look at verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And so because they turn away from God uh, and they don't rely on his strength and his leadership, they're left to their own devices. And uh, because they're left to their own devices, they are now at the will and the whim of the people that they're warring against, of the external world. They're left alone to the external world. And so because of that, they then cry unto the Lord. You see that in chapter 3, verse 9, or chapter 6, verse 7. And God, hearing their prayers, chapter 2, verse 16, raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. And it would be wonderful if that was the end of the story. But in the very next verse, yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods. And chapter 2, verse 19 they came to pass when the judge was dead, they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And so uh, if that's the cycle, I think you could ask yourself the question, do I recognize any of that cycle in my own life? I think the obvious answer is going to be yes. There are maybe moments or, or topics or categories uh, or parts of my life where I, I'm not wholly following the Lord or I'm not uh, in complete obedience or where maybe I'm outright uh, abandoning him or I haven't let him into that part of my life. I think what a more prosperous study might be is, if I've identified those places, is there a way to cut the cycle off for me? Can I make it so that I don't go round and round this cycle of abandonment and deliverance where uh, I make the same mistake over and over and over again. Is there a way to cut it off? And in your study, you will find some really, hopefully, meaningful answers that will come either from looking at the not-so-good examples in the book of Judges, um, or maybe more powerfully from what the Spirit might whisper to you or point out to you as you read. We thought we'd provide just two that we found to kind of get you started. Well, and I'm going to go first with Deborah. And... The story of Deborah is someone who, I guess I'll sum it up in just saying she was someone who listened, listened for God and listened to God. It doesn't talk about how she came to be a prophetess, but we know her as that, um, as one of the judges. She's the only female judge mentioned in the book of Judges. And she has people that come to her for advice and guidance, it seems like. And someone comes to her, and I, I really liked this, this response. She summoned Barak, and this is in verse chapter 4, verse 6. 
She says, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men. So she has, she knows what God has said, not only to her, um, but she's aware of other people. So I loved the way that you can understand that she is coming close to God because he chose her and he wanted her to be someone that he was able to communicate through, but that she's also in tune with other people. And I think that we can learn from that, that of course we don't overstep our bounds, but when people come to us that we can, especially that are under our stewardship in our family or close friends, that we can be someone that helps them to listen and understand God's voice a little bit better. Um, and as we go move on in the story, she, Barack says back, well, I will, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I won't go. And she does agree to go. So even takes it a little bit farther and says, okay, I'm going to help you with this because I know that, that God is asking you to do this. Um, and I think that's a, a good lesson for us to learn from, from someone that God chose in the Old Testament. I really like that. Um, so the question then I would ask is, so how does that help us to stop this cycle of abandoning God when we're being when we're being prospered by him. Well, I don't think that it's any coincidence that something that President Nelson has focused on so much is this exact thing is learning to hear God because if if we're learning something from the Old Testament so far, it's that we should be trying a little harder to listen to him. And I think that that's a modern day problem and distraction just like we can relate to that these people have is how do we really understand what what God is asking us to do? So I think that we should listen more mm-hmm. in putting it simply. And I even like actually further down in this story, this was a, a thing that I just remembered I had highlighted here, but this is also in continuing in chapter four, this is verse 14. Um, Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So again, she even she goes, she reminds Barack about what he needs to do. She goes with him and then she reminds him like, no, this is something that you were called to do. And I think we all need those type of reminders, those cheerleaders of people that help us remember. I would say that that would be another piece of this, not only to listen, but to remember the times that God has spoken to you because those or help remind other people and maybe especially, um, your spouse, mm-hmm. or I know we have to help each other with those kind of things sometimes, or your your children or those people close to you that say, wait, you've, you've done this before. Like God has helped you do this before in this similar situation. Like don't forget. So maybe that's it. Like stopping the cycle is listening to God. It's remembering what he's already done and it's continuing even when it's hard. Yeah. In fact, I love, I love the title that Deborah is given in chapter five, verse seven, a mother in Israel. And if we remember President Nelson pointing out to us the definition of Israel, meaning this is a people who lets God prevail, to be a mother in Israel is then the person that points out or helps Israel to let God prevail by listening, by remembering, by pointing out to them what they should remember. I love that description of what uh, what a mother in Israel can do or can be for other people. Well, the story I looked at was the next one, um, the story of Gideon. And I'll admit this has 
previous to this reading, this has been one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And it still is, but I read a little bit further than I have traditionally, and I took off the hero lens just a bit and saw some things, and I think it actually helped me understand the story and understand the, the lesson or the moral for us even more. So the traditional way I have read the story of Gideon is to jump right into chapter 6. All of these judges are being called on because they're individual tribes. We have the Israelites that now live in Canaan, but almost to well, every single tribe has failed to completely uh, clear the land. And so they're intermingled with Canaanites. And so there's constant conflict and constant war. And so uh, these judges arise to lead individual tribes in battle. And so I've looked at Judges chapter 6, and uh, the Israelites are being afflicted by the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. And I've always loved the language that the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor and helps Gideon to see that he's going to be part of this great miracle. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Gideon in this chapter 6 has a difficult time understanding that he has anything to do with this miracle that's going to take place. Uh, he has a very bleacher view of the way that God saves his people and doesn't realize that the way that God delivers or saves his people is through the people themselves, through inspiring and leading people to be part of the miracle. And essentially, that's the message the Lord gives to Gideon, right? Uh, Gideon asks in verse 13, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? And in verse 14, the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So that's the story that I've always appreciated. Of course, in chapter 7, uh, which I'll get to in just a minute, uh, the, the battle and, and how that plays out. But um, in chapter 8, Gideon takes it too far. You notice in chapter 8, verse 4, Gideon came to Jordan, which right there should cause pause because we know just barely with the story of Joshua that Jordan uh, is a symbolic place uh, and means something to people and would mean something to the readers and to the narrators of the story. So Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. There's something that happens in this passing over. If you go back to Joshua, at the very beginning of Joshua, I think it's chapter 3, when Joshua and the Israelites are to pass over Jordan into Canaanite lands, Joshua is very adamant that the Ark of the Covenant goes before the people. In other words, the symbol of God's presence, the very seat where he should sit, goes in front of Israel and they follow him into the promised land. And the message is very clear. In this new place that we live, God leads everything. Well, here in the second part of this narrative in chapter 8, whereas in chapter 7, uh, there's this great, the, the Lord wins this incredible battle. In chapter 8, it's Gideon who takes charge. And the text is difficult, and I'm not one to pass judgment on, on a historical narrative, but for me at least as I was reading it, I just noticed how many times it was that Gideon was taking charge and doing something. 
So much so that when they finish the battle, the people come to him and ask him to rule over them, which Gideon rightfully denies and tells them the Lord shall rule over you. But then he does this really weird thing where he turns around and asks for all of them to give him their their gold and their jewelry and everything, the spoils from the war. And then he melts it down into a, a staff and puts that in his city. And it says in verse 27, And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Oprah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. And so the wrestle I had as I read this was there seems to be two messages. One, in chapter 6, you need to believe that you're part of the miracle and that you need to save Israel. Two, in chapter 8, but you're not the one to save Israel. And if you try it, you'll be a snare or you'll cause a snare to be for your people and for yourself. And so uh, these two battling thoughts, I think, merge in chapter 7 and the principle becomes clear. In chapter 7, Gideon gathers Israelites that are willing to fight, 32,000 of them, against an army of over 100,000 Midianites. And so he's outnumbered already. But then the Lord comes to him in verse 2 and says, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And so he whittles the army down to eventually 300 people. And in verse 15, I love this. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream. There was a dream the night before that showed that they would win. And the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. In chapter 7, it's clear that, Mi that Gideon's confidence isn't to be in his own, in himself, in his own abilities. It's to be in his ability to listen to God and then to, to lead his people in obedience to God so that God can deliver, deliver them. And I know that's a tricky balance for us, the balance between relying on God and self-reliance, but somewhere in there is a, is a balancing point where we're confident, not in ourselves, but in our ability to connect with God and his divine power to work through us to cause something great to happen. Well, that was going to be my question to you actually was how do we achieve that balance? Because we're also taught and I think know that we're given special abilities, talents, personality for certain tasks that God asks us to do. So that does become a tricky balance. Yeah. Well, I think one of the answers is the one that you gave from Deborah, that she's able to listen and identify where God, what he has said, what he has directed and what he's doing. I think of... Um, Ammon in the Book of Mormon, you remember when they have their success with the Lamanites and he, he starts to praise and look at their success and Aaron stops him and says, you're boasting. And Ammon corrects him and says, I am not boasting in what I have done. I am boasting in the fact that I have been the instrument in the hands of God to do something great. There's a difference between looking at something and saying, I'm going to do this or I did this and looking at something and saying, uh, I was an instrument in the hands of God, whether it was the skills that he gave me, uh, you know, pre-mortal life or, or from my upbringing or from my application of truths, uh, or whether it's something he inspired me to say or do in the moment. Uh, with that lens, it's really hard to not see God's hand influencing what has done. And that's not to erase our need and our ability to be self-reliant and to act, but it helps frame it in a proper perspective. I like that. And I think that 
he can also enhance those God-given abilities, talents, personality, whatever, if, if we are recognizing that too, which is a really cool thing. So there's just two ideas. You'll get more from your study, and I think probably as you study additional resources, the words of prophets and apostles, uh, there'll be more insight that comes to you. Um, I, I worry that at the beginning of our episode, we sound a little too um, naysaying of Scripture. And so just to... No, we don't. <laughs> well, just to balance <laughs> that, uh, I think it's okay to acknowledge that there are parts of Scripture that are difficult to understand, either because we just don't have all the information about the ancient story, which we never will have, or because the ancient story itself is difficult and complicated and fraught with nuance and, and ambiguity. Whatever it is, though, I do love how often the scriptures point to a divine king. This is the very last verse in Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so whatever difficulties we may have with the book of Judges, it is very clear that it is an inspired text in that it points us towards a divine king. And we will see over the next couple of books that we read the formation of the identity of a divine king. We'll see that reflected in Saul and David and Solomon. Um, and that'll be a mere reflection of what qualities and characteristics and personalities God himself has. So stay tuned. Thank you for studying with us this week. And thanks for engaging uh, in this episode with us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>